Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current series this Christmas season, RSVP. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. So we're beginning a new series today called RSVP, and so... You know, during this Christmas season, I would suspect that it's common for many of us to receive an invitation to a holiday event, a Christmas party, maybe uh, something special, a holiday meal. And, you know, oftentimes when you receive that invitation at the bottom of it, it will say RSVP. And RSVP is a reminder for us to Respond so that our host can make the appropriate plans. But do you know what RSVP stands for? It's French, if those of you who know, and it, I'm not great at French, but it, it's respondez s'il vous plaît. Well, literally, it means respond if you please. Now, if you're wondering uh, the exact origin, it, it's a little obscure. In fact, there's no history in French of how it came about, but We find it first in a book printed in Britain in 1825, and I'm going to read the title to you. It has the longest title that I have ever heard of, and if you think of the the, the time in history this was, it, it will make sense. Here's the title. Domestic Duties or Instructions to Young Married Ladies on the Management of Their Households and the Regulations of Their Conduct in the Various Relations and Duties of Married Life. Wow. All right. So, I mean, obviously that's from the 1800s, okay? So, probably not going to see that in uh, 2023. And with that book, though, the letters RSVP became a simple reminder to please respond when you get an invitation. Now, I bet some of you are thinking, I've got an invitation I've got to respond to right now. So you're welcome for the reminder, okay? Um, When you get home, respond for that invitation. Now, you're probably thinking, so what does this have to do with us here in this Christmas season? Have you ever noticed that when you read through the scriptures surrounding the birth of Jesus, that God was extending an invitation to people to get involved in his plan for the redemption of the world? And as you read these specific stories, you're going to see that in every instance, God was inviting people to get involved in his plan And every invitation those individuals had to decide one thing. How will I respond? Will I respond yes? Or will I respond no? So as we look at these stories throughout this series, we're going to look at how they responded. And hopefully we'll have an opportunity to consider how we would respond in the same instance and how we will respond to God every day. Now, today we're going to consider the invitation that God gave to Mary. We heard Kim read those scriptures from the Gospel of Luke. So let's talk about first God's invitation to Mary. Did you catch it? It wasn't given in the form of a question, will you do this? It was a statement of what God wanted to happen, and it was delivered by the angel Gabriel. And remember, he said, 
Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when God invites people to do his will, he doesn't say something like, hey, Mary, would you like to do this for me? God tells them what he wants them to do. And yes, they can choose to do it or not to do it. Let me just flow through some biblical history here. When, when God called Abraham and Sarah to leave everything and everyone they knew, God didn't ask them. He commanded them to go. When God called Moses through that burning bush to lead the people out of Egypt, out of their slavery, into freedom, he didn't ask Moses if he wanted to be this leader. This is what he said. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. When God called Joshua to take the people of Israel across the Jordan River into the promised land, he didn't ask Joshua if he wanted to do it. He said, go. When Jesus called the disciples, he didn't say, hey, do you want to be my disciple? He just said, come, follow me. And when the resurrected Jesus called the man who became an apostle, his name was Saul, and then it became Paul, he didn't ask him if he wanted to be a disciple. He told him what he wanted him to do. So when God sends people an invitation, it doesn't come as a question, but as something that he wants us to do. And that's God's invitation. He's inviting people. He selects people who are prone to believe in him and to follow him. And when he invites them, he recognizes that they're not perfect people, that they're not sinless people, but they're people who believe in him and believe in his invitation and want to follow him. And that's what he saw in Mary. God didn't send an engraved invitation in the mail. God didn't ask her if she wanted to do this, but God saw a young, faithful woman who believed in him and who was seeking with all of her heart and with all of her knowledge to follow him and so with that command, he invited her to join in his plan for the redemption of the world. It's an invitation that I believe all of us are given every day. But let's look at how Mary responded. Let's look at Mary's RSVP. Now, I don't know about you. I've never encountered an angel, but I think it would be a bit frightening. And apparently it was for Mary, which was why Gabriel began the message from God saying, don't be afraid. But being startled to see a supernatural being was probably not nearly as concerning to Mary as the message that Gabriel brought from God. While the angel had a lot to tell her, I think Mary probably got stuck at, you're going to have a baby. Um, she replied to Gabriel, and that demonstrates that. She said, but, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. You see, she was engaged. She was engaged to be married, and, and in that day, being engaged 
was basically permanent. If you were engaged to somebody, betrothed to somebody, the only way that could be broken uh, was by a divorce. And so it was a very serious thing. And she was also committed to sexual purity. And so her mind must have been swirling. And Gabriel responded and told her that it would be a supernatural conception. And he went on to tell her about a sign that would demonstrate that this was from God. He told her that her cousin, who had tried and tried for years to have a child, who was considered to be infertile, was now pregnant, and she was already at the end of her second trimester. She was almost ready to enter that third trimester of pregnancy. That's probably why later on she went to see her cousin Elizabeth. But then Gabriel concludes this message from God with a statement that ends any further discussion. In verse 37, he says, For the word of God will never fail. Now, some translations say, For nothing is impossible with God. But here's the thing. It's a reminder through Gabriel that he is God's messenger, and the message is from God. And the word of God will never fail. So God's invitation to Mary is from the very mouth of God. It's his words, and they never fail. Now, I believe that Mary was a woman of faith. That's why God chose her. We then can understand that she believes in God. She knows God's word is final, and that's why she responds to God, knowing that what God says is going to come true. And so she responds this way. She accepts the invitation. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said come true. Wow. Now, let's not take for granted that while this invitation was from the word of God, from the mouth of God, that this whole experience was frightening, stressful, anxiety-producing, and accepting that invitation would uh, bring up a lot of stressful and anxious thoughts for anybody. So um, I, I don't know if you um, have ever thought or have experienced how stress can in, in affect our health, but if you're familiar with the Holmes Ray Life Stress Inventory, you know that it assigns points to various events in life based on the stress they bring into our lives. And these points are called LCUs, or life change units. And the greater the number of life change units, the, the more stress is involved. And in their research, Dr. Holmes and Dr. Ray concluded that an individual who experienced uh, 150 or less life change units has really a, a pretty low possibility of having a stress-induced illness. But then they wanted to say, if you have 150 to 300 life change units, you have a 50% chance of a stress-induced illness. And then they go over and they said, if someone has 300 or more life change units, they're at a high, a very high risk of a stress-induced illness. 
I'm telling you all this because I want you to recognize that this invitation from God had to produce a lot of stress. And when you consider what Scripture tells us about this time in Mary's life, among all of the life events that we can tell are about to happen or are happening or going through her head at this time, she would have experienced a lot of stress. So I'm just going to give you a very brief list of some of those life change unit, unit stress points. First, uh, marital separation. It has 65 life change units. Remember, she would have been accused of being unfaithful to Joseph, and so they probably considered or would have talked about a separation. Marriage itself brings uh, uh, 50 life change units. Uh, marital reconciliation, 45 uh, life change units. Uh, pregnancy, uh, 40 life change units. Adding a new family member, having a kid, uh, 39 life change units. Uh, change in a financial status. They remember, they have to go and um, to the census. They have to travel, and that's going to cost a lot of money. That's 38 life change units. Trouble with the in-laws, okay? This was probably going to create a little trouble with Joseph's parents if they were still living. 29 life change units. Change in living conditions, 25 life change units. Change in working conditions for, for Joseph, 20 life changes. Change in residence, another 20. Change in religious activities. Okay, this was going to be a challenging time. Change in social activities. She probably was ostracized. 18 life change units. Change in sleep habits. That happens when you're pregnant. And once you have a kid, uh, 16. And then... A minor violation of the law. There was uh, not a, um, a secular law that would have been an issue, but it would have been a religious law that would have been an issue. Now, uh, if you add all those up, those are things that we think that Joseph and Mary would have experienced. That would be about 435 life change units. Stress off the charts, okay? Now... And that doesn't include, if he had divorced her, it doesn't include uh, the legal consequences that Mary would have faced for becoming pregnant out of wedlock. And, and so that's recognizing just the stress. So whether or not Mary would anticipate all of those stressful events while the angel was sharing God's invitation with her, it was still extremely stressful to have that kind of of invitation that would disrupt everything that she knew about her life, that would change everything and every relationship, every human relationship that she had. And yet she said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Can you imagine? I don't know. I mean... Oof. That's intense. But she responded, yes, I am the Lord's servant. Now I want to flip the script, okay? We've read and we've considered the invitation that God gave to Mary. We've seen the RSVP that Mary gave to God. But what about the invitations that God has given to each of us. And I, I said invitations, plural, because God gives us many invitations that we have to consider. Let's talk about what our RSVPs may be. So uh, 
To start off, I want to share a rather touching life story, which in some ways mirrors the way that God continually pursues each one of us with invitations. Real story. Ted Kidd was five years older than Janet. He finished college before her. He started to work before her in a city that was hundreds of miles away from her. And they seemed to always be in different places in their lives. But they had been dating for seven years. Every Valentine's Day, Ted proposed to her. And every Valentine's Day, Janet would say, no, not yet. So finally, they both ended up living in Dallas, and Ted reached the end of his patience, so he went out and bought a ring, and he took Janet to a romantic restaurant, and he was prepared now to reinforce this proposal with this beautiful diamond ring. To him, another no would mean that he had to get on with his life without her. So after the salad, after the entree, after the dessert, you know, Ted said it was time. He was summoning up his courage. But then he remembered that Janet said she had a gift for him. So he, uh, he wimped out for a moment, and he said, what did you bring me? She handed him a box, and it was a, it was a small, thin box. It was the, the size of a book, and he opened the package and slowly peeled away the tissue paper, and it was a cross-stitch that Janet had made, and it said yes. Yes is the word that God wants to hear from his children, his sons and daughters. He has put on a millennia's long pursuit of us, sinful as we are, and he longs to hear us say yes to his invitations. When you read the Bible, it's a record of how God continually pursues us. From the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation and through our own walk with him, we understand how he is pursuing us and he wants us to respond yes. And it's not just about faith. He wants us to respond yes to the invitations to follow him in specific ways. He wants us to believe in him. He wants us to recognize that saying we believe in God is just lip service. Because you and I can say anything and not mean it. We all know that. Having faith isn't something we just say we have. It's actually backing up what we say we believe with how we live. And in this case, according to God's will. And according to God's word, the apostle James understood this and, and he wrote this. He said, humbly accept the word of God that has been planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself and walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you have heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Now, let's look at this uh, a little bit more intently. When James writes, accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Now, that, that sounds odd. 
why do we accept something that's already planted in us? Well, this is what James means. He means not only do you accept it, but you must also act on what you've received. In other words, live out what God's word tells us to do. So he's stressing both believing in God and following God's word. And in fact, when we, when we read through the book of James, you'll find that familiar phrase that says, faith without deeds is dead. Doing things for God has nothing to do with our salvation, but it's the evidence that we truly believe and are following in his word for our lives. Meaning in all of this, that if we believe in God, we will follow what his word teaches. Now, the next phrase that I think might be a little confusing is where it says, God has the power, uh, the word from God has the power to save your souls. That sounds a little, a little odd. He's talking about truly believing in God, which is demonstrated by following God and his word is the, in, following God and his word, that's the evidence that we're being saved. He's not say we're being saved by doing something but it's by believing what he's done. Now, from there, he moves on into what it means to accept the word of God that's planted in us. He says, don't just listen to God's word, do what it says. He says, otherwise, you're just fooling yourselves. And the reality is, you know, you're not fooling God. God understands that if you believe in him, it's going to change your life. You can't say you believe and go on living the way the rest of the world does. God's word will change us. Remember, he says, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. In other words, he will assure you of his presence. He will assure you of your promise of eternal life. You know, here's the deal. God is pursuing all of us. And he wants us to believe in him and in his son, Jesus Christ. And he's inviting us to believe. That's his first invitation to us. But believing in God means that we accept his word and that we follow it and put it into practice. So that's the second invitation. We get two invitations and we need to respond by saying yes and by doing what God's word says. But think about this. You know, we live in a very individualistic society. And it's very easy for us when we decide to believe in and follow Jesus, we begin to think, well, it's just, you know, me and Jesus, me and Jesus. But you got to understand that when you read Scripture, uh, while we all have to individually respond and we all have to individually follow, we're also invited into something bigger than that is just us as individuals. We're invited to be a part of the kingdom of God and, and what he is doing through the body of Christ, this thing that we call the church. And you catch a glimpse that Mary may have caught onto this with the words that Gabriel said. When God invited Mary to become the mother of the Son of God, it was an invitation to get personally involved in a very unique way but it had a bigger picture. Because remember what Gabriel said? About the child, he said, he will be very great 
and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So he's saying, listen, this child will become the king of the kingdom of God, the king of the universe. So she was being invited to participate in something, not just personally and individually, but also something that would, would incorporate the entire family of God. And, and so are we. We're also being given that same invitation because believing in God and following Jesus is not a solo thing. It's not a lone ranger thing. When you accept the invitation of God to believe in him and to follow Jesus, you're accepting the invitation to be a part of something bigger than yourselves, the church. The church is the family of God, and the church's mission is to do whatever it takes to usher in the kingdom of God and, and to reach more people with the saving knowledge of Jesus. And each of us, when we come to faith in Jesus, becomes part of the body of Christ, the church. And each one of us is invited to live our lives for that. You see, we understand that as Christians that God created the church because he knew we needed each other. And he knew that we are better together. And so he invites us to use our lives, to use the, the gifts and the talents that he's placed in each one of us, to use the time that he's given us on this earth, to give us, to use the, the talent, that uh, the treasure that he's blessed us with to follow him and help fulfill his will. Now, candidly, this is where things get a little messy, Okay. Because when we are not just responding to God, but now we're responding to be a part of the body of Christ, we are relating to and responding to other people. And we have all had experience with others that didn't go well for one reason or, or another, whether it's poor communication or poor follow-through or, or some other issue. People are messy, and sometimes that mess is brought into the church, but we can't get so frustrated that we give up on the church. I, I understand that we all believe and expect that the one place on earth where we should all get along and play together well should be the church. But of course, if we accept the truth that all humans are sinners, then even in the body of Christ, we have to work together through our messiness. We have to learn to forgive one another, and to continue to be the body of Christ. And God invites us to be a part of that, no matter what. So God invites us to believe in him. He invites us to follow him and his son, Jesus Christ, and to follow his word. He invites us to be a part of his kingdom purposes on the earth as part of the body of Christ. And we all have to respond. So as we've looked at how Mary accepted God's invitation, we have to decide what our RSVP will be. And I believe it's an RSVP that we're given the opportunity to respond in kind, not just once, but often, even daily. So I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come forward. But as we do so, we're going to move into just a time of prayer. And I'm going to start off with some silent prayer just for you to talk to God. And then 
Uh, and in that prayer, I would encourage you to talk to him about what he wants you to do in your life. And then I'm going to pray that all of us will have the strength to faithfully follow him. So if you would, bow your heads, please. God, as you have come into this world through your son, Jesus Christ, we're amazed that you would do something like that to, to show that there is nothing you would not do to have us know you and believe in you and follow you. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the invitation that you've given us to be your sons and your daughters and to be a part of the body of Christ and to use everything you've blessed us with for your glory. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us that way. And now, Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would have the courage and the strength to follow you, to, to accept the invitations that you give us, that we would turn to you every day and say, yes, Lord, today I'm going to follow you no matter what challenges come my way. I'm going to seek to accept that invitation and to honor you in everything that I say and that I do. We pray this in your name. Amen.